Welcome to the Focus Today podcast with Perry Atkinson. Well, welcome to Focus Today. I'm your host, Perry Atkinson, and I'm delighted. It took a little while, but we figured it out. We got him back. <laughs> Charles Grismeyer is with us today. He's the author of quite a few books, uh, including his latest one, Messiah, Unveiling uh, the Mystery of the Ages. Uh, he spent over 30 years in pastoral roles. Uh, he has spent nine years as a public school teacher and 20 years as a trial attorney. I have no idea when he sleeps. Anyway, now he's a radio broadcaster. Hey, he found his way home. Anyway, saveus.org is his website. Saveusus.org. Saveus.org. Uh, Charles, good to see you. How are you, friend? Well, Perry, I'm doing very well. As the song says, through many dangers, toils, and snares, we have already come. That's brought us here to this program today. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we got you figured out. We had some technical issues, but we got that all worked out. You're looking good. Thanks for your time. Good to see you. You wrote an interesting podcast title uh, that you had called The Curse on the Cross. Yes. What's uh, What was behind that? Well, that's kind of an unusual title, I guess. Uh, as I was preparing for my program uh, just uh, about a week ago, uh, this understanding, this title came to me that seems so unusual, but actually helped me to translate the true implication and meaning of the cross. You know, the Bible says very clearly, uh, cursed is he that hangs on a tree. And we're also told in Galatians that uh, Christ has delivered us from the curse of the law, uh, that we might, that the blessings of Abraham might come on us by faith. Uh, So from the very beginning, the tree, the, the curse was laid by God's intention on the tree or the cross. So the curse was put on the cross. So when Christ actually hung on that cross, he actually bore the fullness of that curse for us. And that's where the title, the curse on the cross came from. It wasn't the curse of the cross. It was the curse on the cross. The cross itself was not a curse for us. It was a curse to Jesus because he was absolutely pure, righteous, and holy, the only righteous Jew that ever lived, Uh, notwithstanding the fact that David was called a man after God's own heart. Jesus was absolutely pure, absolutely holy, and for that reason, he was the unblemished Lamb of God who was able to take our sin upon him, the curse of the law being made a curse for us, the curse on the cross. Well, you uh, you just gave us the Easter message there in about uh, ninety seconds. Thank you. <laughs> Sometimes we have to we have to distill things, uh, Perry, uh, because people's memories and attention is so short. Um, the cross. Um, people wear it. People are offended by it. Uh, people love it. Uh, looking back a little bit, Charles, were you able to tie? the cross in, into America's founding? Absolutely. In fact, uh, if we want go back to 1607, uh, April, I think it's April 29th, uh, at the uh, Virginia Beach, it's called the First Landing, and uh, a cross was planted there in 1607. 
Then a few days later, Captain Christopher Newport sailed up the James River to the place of Jamestown, and there he planted another cross. Ten days later, Virginia's Dabney is his sister, uh, history of the city of Richmond, Virginia, on page one, declares that Captain Christopher Newport sailed up the James from Jamestown to the place of the falls that is now called Richmond, Virginia, and there he planted the third cross. So the planting of three crosses was at the very heart and soul of the founding of this country long before uh, the Declaration of Independence, long before uh, the Constitution and so on. Why has the uh, cross become so attacked or despicable to some people? Well, the reality is the cross has been, in many respects, despicable to most people, including professing Christians. Now, they may wear a cross, they may be mentioning a cross uh, in sort of a, uh, a ritualistic uh, fashion. But the reality is, if the cross was deemed so precious in our country, uh, we would not have had the last 40 years of legal uh, efforts to try to take down every cross in every public space in America. The same uh, was, was accomplished or took place with regard to the taking down of the Ten Commandments. And so the cross represented the taking down of the curse of the law, not the Ten Commandments, but both of them now have been in the process of being taken down. But what concerns me the most, Perry, is that for the past 40 years, the churches of America have methodically taken down the crosses in their congregations, which means the cross is no longer deemed to be a genuine symbol of liberation for, for Christians, that Christ actually took the curse. But actually, Jesus said, if they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. Why do you think you should be different than your Lord? So therefore, the cross represents to modern Christians today, at least professing Christians, uh, an idea that they don't like. They just don't like it. And beginning in the early 1970s in Pasadena, California, where I was practicing law for 20 years, a, uh, an, uh, a movement called the church growth movement began to take place. And it was all about the idea that God wanted us to grow churches, even though Jesus said, I'll build my church, you make disciples. We decided it was easier to build churches than to make disciples. And so we began the church growth movement, and that continued on for a period of about maybe 15, 20 years. Then by the late 1980s and early 1990s began a hyperventilated version of that called the seeker-sensitive movement. It was like taking the church movement and putting it on steroids. So the whole purpose of that, unfortunately, was to diminish the thrust of the gospel, including the cross, because it didn't, well, it didn't mark it well. Now, let me tell you the rest of that story. About 15 years ago, I was interviewing a musician, a Christian musician called Michael Card. Michael Card was then fairly well known, uh, and he had written a book, a small book called A Dangerous Cross. 
And so he came on my radio program, Viewpoint, uh, to discuss it. During that program, he interrupted the conversation and he said, Chuck, I think you and your listeners need to know what happened to me when I tried to get this book published. He said, I went to many different Christian publishers and they all turned me down. He said, I want you to know what they said to me when they turned me down. And here's what they said. The cross doesn't market well anymore. In other words, it doesn't sell well. So you see, the cross has fallen on very, very hard times, not only in the secular world, but in the so-called Christian world. And uh, when Jesus said, you know, if you aren't willing to take up your cross and follow me, you can't be my disciple. And then he upped the ante and he said, if you're not willing to take up your cross daily and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. What are the implications of that? that we have millions of people professing to be Christians who are not true disciples? Mm. Boy, there's a lot there. Um, <laughs> I'm trying what to figure out. What else can I say, Perry? <laughs> I'm trying to you know, unpack that, this. Little... That's just the opening statement for the trial. <laughs> you know, as a trial attorney, I had to present an opening statement to the jury. So your listeners now are the jury. Mm. And what do we make of this? if we were to present the evidence. Well, I probably would fold at this point and walk out. I don't know. Uh, Let me ask you this, though. Uh, Back to the seeker-friendly time. So removals of crosses from churches or religious organizations was somewhat of a capitulation of cultural pressure and intimidation? I wouldn't put it that way. Okay. I believe that it was the result of pastors embracing a false understanding of what their job was. Hmm. They began to embrace the idea that their job was to build churches, more and more churches. In other words, to seduce more and more people into their congregations in order to do that. But in order to do that, they felt they had to cut away the keen edges of the gospel. So today, for instance, by way of illustration, instead of calling people to repent of their sins, people are called in our congregations to come and be healed. Notice the difference. We don't want to talk about sin anymore because that requires confession. So. Another illustration of this is how the word grace has replaced the word mercy. You almost never hear a pastor or a parachurch leader refer to the term mercy. Yet grace has, is, is not the same as mercy. We need mercy because we're guilty. But we don't want to tell people they're guilty because that makes them feel bad at the moment. So... The whole concept of genuine salvation is demeaned or diminished because we don't want people to have to confess that they're sinners. In fact, you remember Dr. Robert Schuler, who was gathering uh, evangelical leaders from all over the land for many, many years out there to the Crystal Cathedral. And uh, here's what he said. He said, it is abuse to tell people that they're sinners. 
They don't need to know that they're sinners. They just need more self-esteem, he said. He was supposed to be a key evangelical leader. And he's the one that mentored two of the largest evangelical movements of the past 40 years, both of them based upon the church growth and seeker-sensitive movements, concepts. So uh, this is not, if you think that our biggest problem in America is the secular world, I disagree heartily. What's happened is the church itself, through its leaders, have abandoned the very thrust of God's purposes and plans. And therefore, we have vast numbers of people that are inhabiting our churches and coming and purportedly worshiping and talking about their love for Christ, but it's all based upon a feeling. It's not based upon the fact of repentance. It's not based upon confession. Uh, they're, they're confessing faith, but the faith in what? They have not yet confessed that they're sinners and need a savior. So the cross, therefore, becomes the emblem, as the song used to say, the emblem of suffering and shame. But I love that old cross. We used to sing, but not anymore. The cross has fallen on extremely hard times. All right, let me take a quick break here. This is a good time because I got some more questions along here. Uh, so honored oh, oh. to have with us uh, uh, Charles uh, Krismeyer. By the way, he's got all kinds of books. Check out his latest one called Messiah, the Unveiling uh, the Mystery of the Ages. There's a picture of the cover of his book there on the screen. His website is saveus.org, saveus.org. We'll be right back. We'll be back to this week's interview in just a few seconds. In the meantime, we want to let you know that you can watch this interview, plus many more exclusive interviews that happen this week on the Dove's daily TV and radio show by visiting our website, thedove.us. And while you're there, sign up for our free daily devotional, The Word for You Today. Three months of daily readings that will connect you with God's Word. Now, back to the show. Delight to have back with us today, Charles Grismeyer. He's the author of quite a few books. Uh, he's uh, been a trial attorney, a public school teacher. Uh, he has been in pastoral roles. Uh, there's a picture of the cover of his latest book called Messiah Unveiling the Mystery of the Ages. His website is called Save Us or US, saveus.org. Uh, there's a picture of the landing page. Uh, let's see, he leaps tall buildings, he outruns locomotives. <laughs> <laughs> I used to. <laughs> <laughs> We're talking about the cross. All hinges from his podcast entitled uh, The Curse on the Cross and how the cross is, um, well, been removed in many cases. I, I do know some places of employment, people aren't allowed to wear the cross. I don't know how all this sticks, but uh, you're the attorney. I guess some of these things are being challenged. Um the cross is always being referred to one way or the other. Uh, you see the cross along the road where somebody has died. It's an indication of death. They're uh, trying to take those down, too. They got to take those down. They're trying to take them down. Gosh, uh, just amazing. Um, but metaphorically, I guess, are we at a crossroads? We are. <laughs> if there was ever a word that was apropos, it would be. America at the crossroads. 
In fact, uh, when I wrote a book uh, called Renewing the Soul of America uh, back in 2002, uh, Dr. Bill Bright, the late Dr. Bill Bright, put a piece right on the top of that book that as Americans, uh, we are at the unbelievable crossroads. 38 national Christian leaders endorsed that book called Renewing the Soul of America. It was unheard of. Um, utterly unheard of, because the book did not deal with uh, uh, culture war things the way we have talked about. It dealt with the spiritual issues, starting from the very beginning. But it also brought together so many of uh, the quotes, over 500 quotes from our uh, our leaders, historical leaders, uh, and the final third of the book brought the focus back to the real founding of our country and uh, <clears throat> then laid out the hope for uh, recovery, for restoration, as Pat Robertson said in the uh, endorsements of the book, he said, this book contains the answers if we have the courage to implement them. If we have the courage. Do you know that not one Christian leader that endorsed that book brought me on his program to talk about it. You know why? Why? Because they felt that it was too convicting for their audiences and would slow the flow of money. I'm sorry to have to put it so bluntly, well, but that's the way it is. That's well, the way it's been. And uh, it's, it's, it's a very serious blight upon our country. And so let me, Perry, let me just, uh, uh, shall we say, counterbalance a couple of things. Sure. We started by talking about the three crosses uh, in 1607 that were planted and planted legitimately uh, when they got to uh, Richmond, Virginia, and they planted the cross. Uh, they gave a great shout. They had a prayer meeting, and the and the Indians came uh, to where they were. But there was another landing uh, in 1620, 17 years later, uh, 13 years later, in 1620, up in Massachusetts. It was supposed to be under the same Virginia charter, but they got blown off course. So they had to have their new, make up a new charter. It was called the Mayflower Compact, mm. and began with these words, in the name of God, amen. In other words, so be it. It was a, a serious but very short compact. Those people were called pilgrims. Why were they called pilgrims? Well, actually, in not-so-jolly old England, they were called separatists. Why were they called separatists? Because they did not believe that the Church of England could be trusted anymore to present the fullness of the gospel of Christ. They felt they had to separate. When they came here, they were called pilgrims. Just uh, uh, 10 years later, another group, a boat, a boatload, four boatloads actually, of Puritans came over, led by a godly attorney by the name of John Winthrop. They also had to pen their own charter, which is called a model of Christian charity. I have it in the back of the appendix of my book, Renewing the Soul of America, because as uh, some historians have said, it's the, it's the clearest uh, expression of the American vision ever penned. I urge every single Christian and their pastors to read it. 
you'll fall under conviction if you do, but you need to read it because it expresses the very heart and soul of a true gospel evangelist, so to speak, leading four boatloads of Puritans uh, to this country. Why were they called Puritans? Because for many years, they tried to purify the Church of England and found that it was impossible. And so they came here, they were called Puritans, and contrasting now between the Pilgrims and the Puritans and Jamestown. We'll use Jamestown as the figurehead for the Southern uh, and first landing. Hmm. Jamestown barely survived because the people fought with one another in their pursuit of selfishness, envy, and gold. In the North, the people, yes, they come came under uh, terrible persecution, uh, well, persecution because of uh, lack of food and, and bad weather. A third, a half of them lost their lives, but they never were pursuing gold. They never got into infighting. The gospel governed their lives in the North. So in the South, we had a form of Christianity based upon the cross that actually was all mixed up seriously with the pursuit of gold. In the North, it was not that way. Now, which landing do we generally remember? We remember the one in the North, don't we? Mm -hmm. The Pilgrims and the Puritans. Why? Because the cross was at the center of their their work, their purpose, and their landing. America now has been compromised over its entire lifetime between the pursuit of the cross and the pursuit of gold. That's our problem today. And it has to be resolved if we have any hope of enduring and fulfilling any further purpose that God would have in righteousness for our country. Okay, so let me ask a very delicate question. This might come out wrong, so bear with me here. Wait a minute. Do you know how to ask delicate questions, Perry? <laughs> Are you some sort of a surgeon? Or <laughs> well, here, here, here's, here's kind of where I'm going with this. Um, okay. If if we have pursued gold instead of the cross, yes, it's brought us back to a crossroads. What are we going to do? And it could appear that the lazy thing to do is just call this the end times and not work to correct it. Okay. I see why you would call that uh, delicate. What if the answer is both and? Not either or, but both and. Well, you're chuckling. I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> I do believe that we are in the the end times. Mm-hmm. Exactly where we are in the end times, I cannot tell you for certain. But I do believe we're in the season. That does not mean that we should not do our best to be and become the people that God has called us to be and become. I mean, after all, the message of Jesus and the message of John the Baptist and the message of the apostles and the message of the apostle John were all repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, what does that tell us? That's the simple answer to a very otherwise seemingly complex problem. Whether or not Christ's coming is 10 years ahead, 50 years ahead, or 250 years ahead, the answer is still the same. Repent 
and believe the gospel, which means if you're going to believe the gospel, you have to live the gospel. And that's what's missing. We say we believe, but the reality is not so much. Okay. So uh, that goes back to picking up your cross daily. So let me ask you this, uh, Charles. Do you think we are... That wasn't all that delicate, was it? No, well, no. no. (laughs) You're the attorney. (laughs) Um, So do you think we're desperate to change? Desperate for change? Yeah. Yes, but I don't think there's much sense of desperation. (laughs) In the overall, yes, I think we're desperate. We're uh, deeply needful of change, but change you can believe in. Not the kind of change you could believe in that uh, uh, Barack Obama promised, which is what we've gotten through Joe Biden. That's We're we're just getting Barack Obama on steroids with Joe, uh, Joe Biden. He's the one behind it. It's it's a kind of change you can believe in if that's what you believe in. But what we need is the kind of change that God calls for in our lives. That kind of change begins with something that is called the offense of the cross. We used to sing to the old rugged cross, I will ever be true. It's shame and reproach gladly bear. Today, we don't want to bear it at all. So I want to ask a question to kind of wed together your your question about the end times or doing something today to make a difference. Look, if Christ is coming soon, we want to be prepared, don't we? Mm -hmm. Because Christ is not coming back for a bride with spot, wrinkle, or any such thing. He's just not. Now, we, we argue that. Pastors are telling us something different in many respects. Just be nice. Don't offend anybody. No, the cross is an offense. Jesus made it very clear that if you're, trying to, if you're going to live according to my word, my will, and my ways, you are going to be an offense. He said, if they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. So here's my question. If we're not willing to allow the cross to become an offense— and to live according to it, how in the world, Perry, are those who profess to follow Christ and are yielding to the lordship of their feelings rather than the faith once delivered to the saints, how in the world are they ever going to stay, be stay, able to stand when the mark of the beast is given out? They're not going to be able to stand because they're all rooted in their feelings. Mm. Boy, that's powerful. Uh Chuck, I'm out of time, but let me get you back. Let me say to our viewers and listeners, check out his book. It's called Messiah, Unveiling the Mystery of the Ages. There's a picture of uh, the cover of the book. And his website is saveus or saveus.org. And there's a picture of the, uh, of the landing site there, saveus.org. Thank you, friend. Good to see you. I'm glad we got all the other things worked out. Well, it's occupied till he comes. Okay. Uh, next time, just get the leaf blower turned off. <laughs> You know what? I had no... You know, they were throwing sin out of my car. <laughs> I am so sorry. No, 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 no. Hey, you know, we have airplanes fly through our studio. You got you got leaf blowers. No problem. All right. <laughs> Good to see you, friend. Blessings. Thank you for listening to this week's Focus Today podcast. Remember, you can visit our website to check out all the interviews we did this week on our daily Focus Today TV show at thedove.us. And if you like this podcast, please take a moment to rate us and share it with your friends.